Hello, and thanks for joining us. Two sharp chefs and a microphone here. I'm Lorraine Moss, chef and journalist. And I'm Louis Victor, chef and professional food photographer. We started this podcast in memory of one of the best food culture ambassadors of all time, Anthony Bourdain. In his memory, we wanted to do the right thing and build a better sense of community among cooks, chefs, restaurant workers, and food lovers here in Las Vegas and worldwide. Hey, Lou, uh, we are talking about one of our favorite topics today. Cheese. 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 Cream. And I'm, I'm so excited for this because we've got a cheesemonger and they're just like fishmongers, which is crazy cool and something that's new for us. Um, because we are talking about cheese, I thought of like my favorite pandemic provision and yours I know also has cheese in it. So mine is... Cheese it. Cheddar duo cheese it. Dude. Extra toasty. So insane. Um, I've got a little okay. fun fact for it, actually. So um, it was introduced in 1921. Now, they do have cheese in them, which is good to know because some products that are like cheese products don't actually have cheese in them. They're cheese products. Hello, Velveeta. Um, but cheese it's actually have cheese in them. Skim milk cheese. Um, but the color is actually not from the cheese. The color is from uh, a natto extract, a which, natto. as we know, comes from the achiote tree, which is used in a lot of Latin cooking. We've got um, an achiote so, tree. Yeah. It's an achiote tree in my backyard. I didn't know that. Well, yeah. No, not here. We're oh. In the Philippines. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, yeah like, it's common in the Philippines. Yeah, it's like a little furry pod. It's got like little hairs, almost kind of like a rambutan, but like more like yeah. more tendrils and stuff. And then when you open it, there's like seeds and yes. like, I swear to God, they're like rouge. You can like put makeup on like as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's used as a natural food coloring in a lot of products and which is awesome because instead of using like FDA yeah. number five yeah. or whatever, you know, like yellow, yellow use, number five. Yeah. Some crappy <laughs> crap that gives you cancer later on. Anato is actually healthy. So. All right. You did Cheez-Its. I'm going to go with Goldfish. You know, I was going to do Cheez-Its too, and I have a giant box of Cheez-Its downstairs. But I love Goldfish because of the cute little shape. Okay, and, I can get that. You know, I mean, kids love it. Yes. And, you know, everybody loves it. And fun fact, the reason why it's shaped like that was because the man who invented it originally as a present for his wife Whose who's zodiac sign is Pisces. Oh my god, I love that fact. Yeah, so hence the goldfish. And if you look like really go. closely, some of them are smiling. Some of them actually have faces. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. It's so cute. So originally, originally it says on the package goldfish soup crackers because they used to like really put them in soup because they swim. I mean, I'm going to start doing that because I don't love Cheez-Its. I mean, not Cheez-Its. I love Cheez-Its. I don't like uh, goldfish on their own, but I love the idea of it floating like in a broccoli cheese soup or something. Exactly. Or like a tomato soup. Right? <gasps> Ooh, they would be really good on jelly. Yeah, something like that. So goldfish. But now it's like labeled as snack crackers. You know, I looked into it this morning and they have a gazillion versions of goldfish. They have this uh, hot chocolate goldfish and Mickey Mouse goldfish too which is not 
technically yeah. a goldfish. It's like a fucking Mickey Mouse cracker. But <laughs> anyway, I'm 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 with Camp Goldfish. Nice. And we're going to be talking about pandemic provisions as long as this pandemic is going on. So if you want to go to our social media accounts mm-hmm. and talk to us about what you're eating, post it for us, link us. Or just yeah. vote if you're like Team Cheez-Its or Team Goldfish. Yeah, we're going to put it yeah. on our website. So um, we're excited to do this because we're all kind of like snacking right now. But let's move on to the real cheese. The real cheese. Mm-hmm. All right, so Louie, today we have Diana Breyer. She's a cheese consultant in Las Vegas. She's a professional cheesemonger. We're going to find out what that actually is because we're actually super excited about it. We don't know much about this. Hi, Diana. Hi. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Thanks for joining us. So this is what I read about you. You're one of 45 American cheese societies certified cheese sensory evaluators <laughs> so that five times fast right <laughs> so tell us what that entails so essentially uh we're really familiar with wine in las vegas already so if you think of what a sommelier does um you know evaluating flavor profiles narrating those flavor profiles for you making pairings based on you know the the uh, flavor notes and the tasting notes of the wine Essentially, that's what a certified cheese sensory evaluator does for cheese. So it's a lot, it's akin to a master sommelier of cheese. Um, and I am, my palate essentially is certified to narrate flavor profiles of cheese, evaluate uh, flavors of cheese for their, you know, viability, um, try and pick out attributes and defects in each cheese, uh, try and pinpoint where that happened. And also, uh, it helps me to make really fun pairings. So you did say it was a little bit like Somalia of cheese. So what's that exam yeah. like? Is it also complicated and super detailed? It's terrifying. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how, many, how many cheeses do you have to sample? Yeah. To get into like so, the first level and stuff. In the beginning, you go into the room, and it is a stark white room, and you have a six-foot table all to yourself, and you start off with 10 cups of milk. And you sniff each ten, each of the ten <laughs> cups of milk to uh, try and identify an aroma that could be possible in milk for cheese making. You're uh, a milk sniffer. <laughs> a milk, oh, I, it goes on. I sniff way more than milk, sister. Um, <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, so. Essentially, you have to identify uh, each of those cups of milk as one of, I think, 53 possible aromas um, for each of the 10 cups. And then you move on, uh, and you go and you evaluate 12 cheeses. They're each in different classifications, categories, and milk types. And you have to evaluate those cheeses based on appearance attributes and defects, aroma attributes and defects, flavor attributes and defects, texture attributes and defects. And you have to give them a grade as far as whether they are you know, too little, too much, just right, much too much, um, etc. And so each of those answers is a point or a fraction of a point uh, behind the wall. There's a big wall in the room. Behind the wall is what we call a norming group. Um, and they're people who are already CCSEs, uh, Certified Cheese Sensory Evaluators. And they take the exact same exam. They eat the exact same cheeses. And then the exam takers' questions and answers get matched to the norming group. Um, and the norming group discusses the cheeses and says, well, I thought this was very prominently nutty where one of them might say, I only detected a hint of nuttiness and it was hazelnut, not pecan. Um, so you have to be able to pick out those sort of 
Yeah. <laughs> just a quick question. Like, what what are words? You know, what are oh, common yeah. descriptors that you can use for cheese yeah. when you're like milk? Oh, so okay. it's, a, it's pretty similar for cheese, except you're going to have more dairy qualifications and you are going to have sometimes like the, uh, sometimes you'll get more like leather notes and whatnot and some wines, whereas in cheese, you're going to focus a little bit more on the dairy. You may have a little more yeasty, a little more dairy, uh, buttery, creamy, smooth. Uh, you can go nutty, savory, uh, you can go earthy, uh, some have hints of fruit, you know, you can have like hints of tropical fruit, hints of dark fruit, um, you can have things that are herbaceous, very herbaceous, things that are spicy, it's all over the map. If you think about cheese the way you would think about wine, it all comes from the earth. So mm -hmm. cheese starts from milk, but milk comes from the cows who are eating the grass and absorbing the nutrients from the earth, so it's the right. same way that a vineyard, a vine would. So terroir. All right, all so terroir. I can see mm -hmm. how you have some cheese superpowers. So is that like how you got that moniker of Wonder Woman of Cheese? It is. I was lucky enough to spend some time with MGP, uh, MGP Foods and Kierden Way. Uh, and I worked with some really great people there. And uh, just because of the wrist cuff tattoos and my name being Diana, I'm six ah. feet tall, so I'm kind of an Amazon. <laughs> Um, and that. so that sort of, and because I'm an artist and cheese maker and an affinor and a cheese monger, Wonder Woman of Cheese was sort of born. So that's a specific uh, nickname to Las Vegas. That right, so you have on. that really cool term that Louis and I had not heard of until today, affinor. So affinor. it's one who ages cheese, Louis. Uh, mm -hmm. It's such so specific. <laughs> and it's French, obviously, right? affinor. It um, is. So... How does that come about? Uh, I heard that it has to do with some turning and brushing and bathing, which sounds really weird and interesting at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Affinage is one of the most critical parts of a make procedure for cheese making. So you have what happens in your make room where the cheese is made. And then the affinage is where it's really aged, where it's really taken care of. Uh, in order to become the cheese that is on your tables. Uh, for different d types of cheeses, you have different affinage. So for a brie, you flip it every day. I used to flip my brie every single day, every single wheel. I would adjust the humidity inside each of their individual cases and then adjust their fresh airflow based on how the rind development was looking. For something like a blue, you may want to inhibit your rind growth and find a way to do that while you still are able to uh, pierce through the... Uh, the cheese to get the penicillium rope for you to go through. It's different for every type of cheese, the duration, the amount that it's flipped. You mentioned salting and bathing. That's very common. If you, you guys all know Pecorino Romano as chefs, uh, it is dry salted multiple times throughout its affinage, which is which largely attributes to that really strong salty flavor that the Pecorino Romano has. Um, so that's part of the affinage is that dry salting. Um, with brining, if you're making something like, uh, you know, a lot of different types of cheeses can be brined. You can brine a blue, you can brine a brie, you can brine a washed rind. Um, if you're bathing the cheese during your affinage, you're trying to encourage the proper bacterium to grow by increasing the moisture level on the surface of the rind. So in order to do that, you want to bathe the cheese and then you'll encourage a different strain of bacteria to grow. This is delightfully nerdy for us because <laughs> yes, chefs are nerdy. So, glad. <laughs> so, I mean, when you say bathe, I'm just like yeah. imagining, you know, like a cheese baby kind of. So how do you wash? Work? Yeah, is it water? Or, or do like you hose? <laughs> or what's the deal? I have grind some wheels by sticking them in a bath and leaving the, putting them in a lid overnight. 
um, like litting the bath and then taking them out the next day. I have taken a brine solution and washed it onto cheese using like a much like a paintbrush, essentially like okay. a food brush. Um, and I have also bathed cheese in a sink with, uh, you know, trying to get my mind to go away on the exterior of some of my blues when I was oh. in Park City. So it just depends on what you're trying to accomplish with your make um, because brining is different than bathing is different than salting is different than rubbing. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about how we got to this place with you. I believe there was some sort of medical emergency that you had years ago that somehow brought you to this cheese lifestyle. So you <laughs> don't have to explain what that means. I have a really great story for cheese because I never tell okay. people that I, that I found cheese. I tell people that cheese found me. So I was doing financial analytics uh, about seven years ago um, and teaching dance. And I had all these weird medical things start to happen in my body. The, the strangest of which was that a tumor was found on my heart um, and I had to have open heart surgery. Um, unfortunately, I, um, I did flatline briefly during the recovery for that. And um, a few things sort of happened at, at that point in my life. The flatlining really taught me, like, don't do anything that you don't love to do. And that was really, that really stuck with me because I was sitting behind a desk underneath fluorescent lights telling people about their finances. And I was like, I fucking hate this. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the other thing it taught me was when my tumor came out, it was a very rare type of tumor inside a very rare type of other tumor. Um, and it was re largely responsible for a lot of my brain chemistry and emotions. And when it came out, I totally changed. I was just a different person. Um, and so... I just decided to leave my job and I applied for a job at a Whole Foods market down the street. Uh, the guy who interviewed me, Jack Daniel, um, <laughs> he said, what, have you, what do you think about cheese? And I was like, well, I love cheese. You know, who doesn't love cheese? My first password on my first computer in like the 90s is cheese. <laughs> um, but it's been, he put me in my first cheese 101 class. It was the first time that my left side of my brain and my right side of my brain were all completely on all fires, you know, also under firing. And I haven't looked back since. I've just been like a dry sponge. So I've stopped any other sort of career path and just solely focused on cheese and my trajectory has been really fun. Um, wow. Really fun for me. It's an adventure. It's an incredible wow. story. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really, um, it's special to me. Cheese is always, as much as the world has changed in those six years that I've been in cheese, it always finds a way back to me. So I've learned that in cheese, you don't have a recipe. It's like a make procedure, right? Correct. Okay. So, so yeah. I hear brie is your favorite cheese, which who doesn't love brie? Brie is amazing. Right. And you can't spell briar without brie. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, first of all, why is that your favorite cheese? Is it like the texture, the flavor, kind of everything? My favorite cheese to make. Uh, I enjoy all cheeses uh, when it comes to eating. I, I do. I am partial to the soft ripens because I love to make them so much. So okay. uh, the make procedure for a soft ripened is really romantic and gentle mm. and beautiful. <laughs> and, um, you know, I would come into my make room and put on some French cafe music and pasteurize my milk. And, you know, <laughs> and talking, we, about a, talking about a make room. <laughs> What happened to the Make love cheese. Right? And I know. They make it a lot more than cheese in that room. Right? I got a lot of cream in my make room. 
movie's like everything in there. You know, like, yeah. All day, every day. Just... We got out of us. Go ahead. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, my chef brain just kicked in, so yeah. No. Make cheese, <laughs> not warm. There was a lot of cream in the room, so I mean, you're right. It's, it's all good. <laughs> We're making double cream and triple cream. Right, right, so right exactly. Have yeah, cream, you know? so, so besides the romanticism, what goes on next? Um, essentially, with a make procedure for brie, uh, every, every cheese make procedure starts off with you acidifying your milk, um, which is really important because some people who are lactose intolerant think that they can't eat cheese, which is actually not true. Um, generally speaking, any cheese aged over, like, they say two weeks is a really good kind of like minimum. Mm -hmm. I like to play it a little safer and say six weeks. Um, we'll generally not have any, like just trace amounts of lactose. So in, in, unless you have a dairy allergy or you're extremely, extremely sensitive to those trace amounts, you should be able to eat any cheese over six months. Um, and to my activity right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hope I'm, I hope I'm encouraging people to eat more cheese because that's really yeah, what yeah. this is about, isn't it? <laughs> and actually, this is like a strange truth is that there's a lot of Asians out there that are lactose intolerant. So you're making a lot of minorities happy right now with what you're saying. <laughs> awesome. Always happy to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've got the, the acidifying the milk. Be acidifying the milk, okay. and then you do what's called an inoculation. So inoculation is essentially adding the bacteria and the mold to your milk or the yeast or whatever, uh, your cultures, we call them, into the vat of cheese where the milk has just been acidified. Um, and that sort of starts the encouragement of those bacteria to proliferate throughout the rest of the milk. So uh, that's the inoculation. And then you, depending on what kind of cheese you're making, you let it sit or you stir it or you heat it or you salt it or whatever. Everything sort of changes after inoculation depending on what kind of cheese you're making. But for brie, you sort of let it continue to acidify. You stir your cultures in really nicely and then you just let it sit. Um, if you think of brie as being a very gentle cheese, it also mirrors the make procedure for itself. Mm. So a lot of these gentler cheeses are going to have a very gentle make procedure because the curds are large and delicate, um, you know, and there's a lot of moisture in these cheeses, so you have to have a, a large curd to retain that moisture. Um, so after the inoculation is when you create the curds, which is what you call setting the vat, which is when you add rennet. Uh, rennet is the coagulant or the enzyme that turns your vat of cheese into one big curd. So it doesn't become curds in whey just yet. Um, it's just one huge wobbly curd and you can sort of poke it and it'll like ripple effect and it's kind of fun to play with. Um, <laughs> like a big thing of jello. Randomly satisfying. <laughs> right? um, and then you, depending on what, again, depending on what kind of cheese you're making, you're going to cut your curd. Um, for brie, sometimes you can do a procedure called moule à la louche, which is just ladling directly without cutting your curd. Uh, but once you do, you'll separate into curds and whey. From there, you can ladle like you would in brie, uh, add your curds to your forms or your hoops. Um, or from you might take it a few extra steps in a make procedure. For instance, in a blue, you are going to stir your curd a lot to expel moisture, have them bounce off each other, etc. So I, I have a question. Yes, yeah, please. Can you make a basic cheese at home? Yeah, yeah. Can I or could everyone? Everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Could we? Yeah, anyone could. could we? Um, so 
Uh, you can make cream cheese in your kitchen. You can make mozzarella in your kitchen. If you have an area of your refrigerator or an extra fridge that you can sort of mess with the temperature and humidity, you can make cheeses in your home. But really what the kicker is, is not necessarily making them in your kitchen, but it's the aging that's going to be tricky for you. Because um, you have to have, again, temperature, humidity, airflow all have to be correct for the type of cheese that you're making. So if you can do that or set up a space in your house where that's possible, more power to you. Text me, I'll tell you how. So, Diana, uh, when you describe this process, like, it just, it sounds so romantic. Do you have to have, I'm guessing, a certain kind of, you know, personality mindset to do something like this? You kept saying gentle. It's like, it almost takes, like, a gentle person to, to be able to do this well. For Brie, I think it, I think it is really emotional. You have to want to <laughs> connect with your cheese, but you also really need to be on top of your shit. So if your pH is running away with you, you need to know how to mitigate that. If it's slowing down, you need to know how to mitigate that. If, you're, if you can tell that the cows just had a baby based on the smell and the color of the milk, you're going to oh. need to acidify it differently than you would wow. if it was different than that. So as much as there is sort of that emotional romantic connection in the breeding procedure, um, you also have to be extremely detail-oriented and make sure that you have a huge, huge sort of self-quality control because – you know, there's several, sometimes several hours between the steps of your make. And if you aren't putting yourself back in your room or timing your back correctly, you could spoil your whole lot of cheese. So, yes, there is a certain type of person required. Um, but, also, again, they're all different depending on the make. Making cheddar is one of the most laborious, strong back, strong shoulder, wow. you know, you, like, you need 20-year-old men who will just listen to you, basically, to do it. <laughs> so it's... <laughs> You're talking about hand-making procedure for uh, cheddar, right? For cheddar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, yeah. I went to the Tillamook factory, and I was like, whoa, bats, whoa, dudes. Like, yeah, yeah, so you know. Whoa, like, machinery. It's yeah. so super cool, though, because, like, yeah. they would take this, like, giant block of peas and just, like, portion them, and they would come out into, like, big loaves, and, you know, as a chef and somebody who loves oh, yeah. it, when you, when you see a big loaf of cheese like that, you know, you're like, <laughs> Yeah, right? you have like a cheesegasm. Exactly. <laughs> Louie, are you ready for On the Fly? Uh, on the Fly. Let's get ready. Okay, Diana, this is 60 okay. Seconds Rapid Fire Questions. Ooh. Ready? Ready. Go. All right, what's your quarantine comfort food right now, Diana? Oh, it's cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and, and ice cream. Cheese. Okay. Uh, well, it's mostly Humboldt fog. I eat a lot of Humboldt fog. Nice. Ooh. So, cat or dog person? Cats, too. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> best binge-worthy show? I'm sorry, best what? Binge-worthy binge show. What are you binging on TV? Ooh, I binge, I, shamefully, I binged Tiger King pretty hard just recently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lou? Yeah, dream place to travel and eat. France. Favorite cheese. I know this is like picking a child. It is like picking a child. But uh, I'm going to just stick with the soft ripen category, the Brie styles. Yeah. First thing you'll do when this shutdown is over. Go swimming. Yeah. <laughs> Childhood food craving. Uh, mac ah. and cheese. Time is going off. So go ahead, Lou. Yeah. Okay. Favorite <laughs> favorite Corona Apocalypse beverage. Oh, I'm gonna just stick with my high west double rye here. 
So I've also been enjoying the crown royal peach with some lemonade, some effervescent lemonade. How are you practicing self-care right now? I'm working out a lot. Uh, working out a lot, getting a lot of sun, and working on some really fun projects for my next little, my next little adventure in Vegas. So love that. Hmm. What restaurant in town are you most excited to go back to? <sighs> I love the stove. Yeah. I love brunch at the stove. I really do. And I'm just such a slut for shambongs. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. I get it, dude. I'm really excited to have, like, a proper brunch where it actually is bottomless samosas and not just however much champagne I have in my... Important question here. Last one. Mm -hmm. Your go-to cheese-making soundtrack. This is so embarrassing. Just do it. I don't know. Just do it. It's Michael Bolton. It's always Michael Bolton. Oh! Michael Bolton, I love which, it. Which song in particular? I, I need to know what goes into this breeze. Oh, I, oh, I, don't, I haven't really picked a favorite. I feel like that's fair. Is that him? No. no um, <laughs> he might have covered it, but you yeah. know, he actually wrote the song for Hercules, the Go the Distance song. Yeah. Um, oh, the Disney version? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's a song called Steel Bars by Michael Bolton, but I just lose my shit every time. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Diana, we're gonna go ahead and let you sell it. So just how do people contact you? What's your social media handle? That kind of thing. Sure, yeah, you can get in contact with me on Instagram, Wonder Woman of Cheese. Uh, I'm also Wonder Woman of Cheese at gmail.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Diana Breyer. Um, I'm available for private consultations. Um, I also can build spreads in your home. Uh, I can do cheese boards for you as well. Uh, but if you just want to call and ask me some cheese questions, uh, I do have a fun new project coming up. And as soon as everything is sort of lifted with the world, then I'm going to be able to share that. So really excited to move forward and connect with you guys soon. But in the meantime, everybody, please feel free to contact me. I am here for you and your cheese questions and any suggestions for pairings that you need. Diana, thank you so much. The wonderful cheese. Thank you for having me. We can't thank wait you. to see you in person. I can't wait that to see you guys awesome. too. Thanks for listening to Two Sharp Chefs in a Microphone. We love subscribers almost as much as we love food. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review. And check out Two Sharp Chefs. That's with a number two on Instagram and Facebook, as well as our WordPress blog. Email us with any questions and ideas at twosharpchefs at gmail.com. And Louie, we stream new episodes every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. It's been a pleasure. We're 86th. Till next week.